worship and adore you. message today we want to tell them how much we love them more than anything anything that includes everything the Lord wants to see us give everything because he has given everything the least we can do is give him all of us. I thank and I praise God today to be able to come before you. Um, he's worthy to be praised. Just give me a moment. we just want you to have your way today thank you God for showing us your presence already so far you've already given us so many messages from the beginning of service Lord God up until this point and so we thank you for what you're going to do and how you're going to manifest yourself Father we want you to be glorified and magnified we thank you Lord we love you more than anything and we just don't want to say it God we want to live a life that's worthy and that shows just how much we love you so father help us today there's some things that you're going to challenge us with you're going to challenge me with and father we're all going to need your help we're going to need your help in Jesus name we thank you for what you're going to do amen amen as you're standing I'm going to read the scripture um, that I'll be coming from on today. Good morning, church. Good morning. Praise the Lord. I'll be coming from Joshua chapter 7, and I'll be starting from the 8th verse. And I'll read um, 2 through the 13th verse, I believe. And I am going to take my time because I have this thing in my ear, and so as it's talking to me, I am talking to you, and that can become kind of, you know, yeah, delayed. So just give me a moment. So, amen. Thank you. So Joshua chapter 7, and I'll be coming from the NIV version, and I'm going to start with verse 8, okay? Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies. The Canaanites and the other people in the country will hear about this and they will surround us 
and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I have commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Father, thank you once again for your word, God. We thank you that your word is, is sharp and is powerful, Lord God. And we thank you for what you're going to do today. Father, help me. I need your help, Lord God. Yes, Lord. I do nothing yes, in myself, Lord God. I have no Jesus. ability in myself. Yes, Father, I depend solely on you. Father, let the ears of your people be open and ready to receive and embrace your message. This is not me. This is you. So, God, you do what you need to do. We give you glory and honor and praise for what you're doing. And we'll be careful to say that this is your doing, and it will be marvelous in our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to give you a brief history as to what has taken place before we meet Joshua right here. I won't take it for granted that everyone in here knows what has happened, even though pretty much I'm thinking everyone does. But let's go through what has happened up to this point. First of all, Moses has died, right? Joshua is now installed as the new leader, and he is mandated to take the Israelites into the promised land. God, in chapter 1 of Joshua, reminds Joshua of the vastness of the conquest. He reminds him that there will be nobody that will be able to stand against them as they conquer. He tells him a number of times to be strong in the Lord, right, and not to fear. You will have great success. He also reminds Joshua to keep the covenant, to keep the law, to not to break it, to let it always be upon their lips. He also tells Joshua to meditate on it day and night. He says, if you do this, this is God talking to Joshua prior to the conquering of Jericho. He says, if you do this, you will have the success that I have promised you, right? He tells them all of this. The city of Jericho was to be under what they called a ban or a harem or accursed. It is supposed to be the city that was devoted exclusively to the Lord and to the Lord alone. Everything in it was to be what? Utterly destroyed. All of the treasure that was in Jericho was to be put with the treasury of the Lord. The only people that were allowed to escape this was who? Rahab and her family, right? Once again, God says, if you do all that I have commanded, I will always be with you. 
Joshua executes the military strategy that was handed down by God himself. You know what they did. They crossed the Jordan on dry ground. God gave them a strategy, strategy to, to march around the city X amount of times. And then the last day, they're supposed to march around the city. And then that last go around, they're supposed to shout. And the walls were to come down. They executed the strategy of the Lord. And so what happened? They conquered Jericho. What were they supposed to do after conquering Jericho? What did the Lord say to do? Utterly destroy everything in there. You are not to save man, woman, girl, a boy. And I know it sounds barbaric, but it was the Lord's commandment. Not cattle, not dog, not cat. Everything was considered to be on under a ban or a harem or devoted or an accursed thing unto Lord, a type of first fruit to the Lord, right? Now, after they have finished conquering Jericho and they are high and they're like, oh, yeah, we got this, we got this, we're doing it, we're doing it. The next place to conquer was Ahai. Joshua sends a few men there to kind of scout it out they come back and say, hey, it's a small town. Don't carry the full force there. Just send a couple of thousand men there, and we'll be able to handle this little city with it, no problem. Now, listen, remember, God, Joshua sought the Lord before conquering Jericho. Now he goes on what his advisors say and did not go and seek God's face about how to deal with AI. So he does what they say. He goes, sends about two to 3,000 men, and they were utterly defeated there. 36 men were killed, and they left running back to base. They could not understand what happened. And by the way, the title of my message is, There is Victory in Coming Clean. So this is where we meet Joshua here in uh, chapter 7 here, starting with verse 8. They're perplexed. They don't understand what's happening. They're supposed to win. God has given them all of this. Be strong and have good courage. I will not leave you. You are going to conquer this land. I have given this land as an inheritance to your ancestors. I told them from the beginning. I told Abraham, this is what's going to happen. And I have finally brought you to the place where you are to dwell, where you are to dwell. Now here they are at AI, defeated by a small city, and they are perplexed. So what does Joshua and the elders do? They fall on their face before the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. What is going on? Why have we been defeated by this small city? He acted as if, he, well, evidently he didn't know what was going on. But I like how God addresses him. He says, stand up. That's the way I took it. Stand up. Why are you on your face? Get up. By now you ought to know what the problem is. There is sin in the camp. And I will not give you the success that I promised you until the sin is dealt with. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that these things were written in the Bible for us so that we wouldn't have to follow the same pattern. You know, God, God looked at the nation of Israel as a unit. So when one was blessed, everybody was blessed. When someone sinned, it was like everybody sinned. So God wrote this, or God didn't write it, but he had this pinned down for our example so that we wouldn't fall into the same traps as our ancestors did. And, you know, I used to wonder from this side, what in the world made Achan think 
Of course, you know the story. Achan took some of the things that were devoted to the Lord. And as he did so, he caused a curse upon everybody. And that's what caused the defeat. And so Joshua had to, by God's command, go tribe by tribe, um, clan by clan, family by family, until they got to the person that committed the sin. And now because Achan is now a part of what is called devoted to God, he and his family, all of his cattle, all of his belongings, everything had to be destroyed because now they are a part of what is called accursed. And I used to wonder, why in the world would Achan ever think that he would be able to get away with taking some of the things from Jericho when God said that these things are to be utterly destroyed or put into the treasury with the treasures of the Lord. What made him think that it, God would kind of wink his eye at that? What made him think that God was joking away, joking around or that made him think that he can get away with doing what he wanted to do. And then I stopped wondering, you know why? Because Achan is no different from me and you. He responded like any one of us would have perhaps responded when there is something undealt with in our hearts. Things that are hidden in our hearts have a tendency to come out somewhere. And I would say in Achan's case, and the Bible doesn't say this all the way, but I'm going to summarize that when he saw the robe and the, and the monies, he, it does say that he coveted it. He wanted it. Something in him was aroused to do the opposite of what God had, had commanded. So it dealt not so much with everybody else, but it dealt with the matters of the heart. Which is something that we don't like to examine too um, closely. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful and is wicked. And you know, that is not too much different what he went through, what, what they were going through back then. Because even as I look around today, and I see a lot of things, and I hear a lot of things. I talk to a lot of people, and a lot of people are perplexed and wonder why is their victory being held up? What is going on? I've been praying. I've been coming to church. I've been coming. Some of, some of us have been coming to Bible study. I've been getting on the prayer call every Tuesday night. And it seems as if my blessing or my victory is still being held up. Some of us are being hard-pressed on every side, not understanding what's going on. We've been praying on our knees, our knees are ashy, and it seems like nothing is happening. Now, I do understand this, that it is the devil's job to kill, steal, and destroy. It is the devil's job to do whatever he needs to do to hold up our blessings. We've talked about that in the prior messages when we talked about uh, the victor, different types of victories that we are, you know, the victor, you know, what was one of them? Um, you are anointed to fight. We talked about that, right? The fight is fixed. We talked about that. We are anointed to fight. I just said that we must press in. Pastors, I think that was his last message. Victory is not found in things that are temporal. We can't look for love in all the wrong places as Minister Simon preached the other Sunday. And even Elder Stowe on last weekend said to us, sometimes the enemy has a, is not the devil. It is ourselves. However, after being preached Sunday after Sunday, I'll lower my voice, and after Sunday, some of us are still not experiencing the victory and the breakthrough that we need to. We're, some of us are not being perplexed and, 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 and all of that because of righteousness. Some, some of us are not being perplexed because we're standing against the kingdom of a darkness. It's not, not everything, not everybody. 
Some of us are experiencing defeat simply because we have not properly dealt with the sin in our camp. I pray that you hear me today. This message is not to condemn anybody, but in order for us to get the victory that we need all the way, we need to deal with some things in our own personal lives that are the hindrances of the victory. So this is not to condemn you. This is to help. Okay. We are so quick to become discouraged and look everywhere else to put the blame. Why am I being defeated? We look everywhere else but ourselves. It's hard to look at our own selves. It's easy to see the speck in somebody else's eye. It's easy to see what somebody else isn't doing right. You know? We blame others. We make excuses for our sin. We hurl rocks and hide our hands. And we so often fail to examine our own lives. Sometimes we assume the problem is not with me. It got to be something else. It ain't with me. Sometimes it's too humiliating or it's embarrassing and you just don't want to deal with it. Sometimes what we're dealing with or the sin in our lives does not jive with the glass house persona that we've built for everybody else to see. And so we don't want nobody else to know that this glass house really can easily break at any time. But the truth of the matter is that nobody in here, not even me, not Elder Benjamin, nobody in here is immune to sin. None of us in here gets a free pass because we come here every Sunday. Nobody. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, it, it, it tells us that we all have sinned. We all have fallen short. And if there's anyone who says that they do not sin, they are a liar. All it takes is the right condition and the right trigger. All it takes is the right thing to cause you to go over there in the deep waters. I remember my mother used to say, and maybe your parents used to say this at one time, if you let the devil ride, He'll want to drive. Yeah, so I see my mama wasn't the only one who used to preach that to us. And in essence, she was saying, you keep on allowing and permitting certain things in your life. You're going to find yourself at its mercy sooner or later. There is danger in convincing yourself that you can participate and have victory over sin simultaneously. There's a danger in playing in them deep waters and think you could pull out whenever you want to. You're going to find yourself sometime or another, if you haven't already, drowning because of the undercurrent. And this is something we have to deal with if we want victory. It's time for us to come clean. So this is what I wonder. Have we become so user-friendly to sin that we don't know what it looks like anymore. Perhaps because sometimes we don't see immediately the consequences and repercussions of sin, we feel that we can keep going and doing what we're doing and nothing is going to happen. Well, maybe we think that God is no longer listening because the whole world, we see our society, you know, we've come up with the new phrase, alternative facts, which are lies. And it seems as if God has, is winking his eye and he's not doing anything to quickly rectify the situation. Maybe because we're not seeing things happen quickly like our ancestors of old saw that is okay. Has the line become so gray, so muddled, that Christians, the people in the kingdom, are unable to see the defining mark of what is sin and what is right? What is truth? 
I remember when you read the Bible, when someone wants to, the truth out of someone, they say, give glory to God, which means so much, tell the truth. Have we become so accommodating to um, sin because we see it everywhere we go that it now looks right? I'm just saying what I'm saying, family. Or maybe we have categorized sin into categories. You know, we like to talk about the big ones, right? You know, you fornicating. You committing adultery. You lying. You the, the, the ones that look huge. The ones that we can, some of us can easily say, oh, that's not me. That's not me. I'm not in that category. So if we're able to not um, um, be acquainted with that, that category, we may feel that we are all right. So we put sin in categories, that which is treacherous and those which are admissible. This is a dangerous place to be. I can do what I'm doing just as long as I'm not hurting nobody. Ain't nobody got to know what I'm doing, right? Now, and that's wrong because even in the scripture we just read, we see that Achan's sin not only affected him, it affected everybody. Everybody is affected by your sin. I don't care if you're doing it at the house on your own. You are a part of the body of Christ. Your sin is going to affect me eventually. Because if you're not moving forward, you're going to cause the body not to move forward. The sin has to be dealt with. So maybe sometimes we've heard the word sin and it's just become just a common word. We, maybe we've forgotten what it is. I'm just saying. So what I'm going to do is explain to you what sin is just as a, as a recap, okay? And I'm, I'm going to do it in terms that we all, I want us all to find our place here. We all need to find our place in this sermon today because it is victory and coming clean. It, you ought to be tired and sick Amen. of you being defeated in small things. Now, like I said earlier, I realize that there are some of us who are going through because the devil is just pressing in. I understand that, but we're not talking about that avenue today. We're talking about sin in the camp, okay? So what is sin? You know, when I looked, look at sin, it has three major components, and let me share them with you. And you may want to write this down, or you can, you know, go to your Bible commentary. You can look it up yourself, whatever you want to do, but it's important. Three Major, major components. Number one, breaching the law. Missing the mark of God's standard. Number two, violation of relationships with people. Mm -hmm. Number three, rebellion against God, which is the ultimate. That is the ultimate. So, therefore, the essence of sin is a relationship that opposes God and his standard. Yeah. So, a simplified definition of sin, which is the one I usually go through, which is go to, because it helps me to just to put it in layman terms for myself. Anything that breaks God's laws... Anything that God deems offensive and anything that causes a chasm or distance between me and God. What does that look like for you? You may not be fornicating. You may not be committing adultery. But what in your life right now is causing distance between you and God? Now, remember in the Bible, do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? And I think, I think Mark chapter, in Mark, he came to Jesus Christ and he was like, Rabbi, tell me what must I do to inherit the, to inherit, um, um, the kingdom? What must I do? So he got, Jesus goes through all of the, all the usuals, you know, keep the commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt love your neighbor, thou shalt love your, the Lord. He goes through all, all of that. 
he's proud. He says, I have kept all of these from my youth. I'm good. I am good. So Jesus takes it a step further. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go and sell all that you have. Then come and follow me. The Bible says that the rich young ruler left, held his head. He was sorrowful because he owned many possessions. For him, that was sin. For him, because Jesus gave him a commandment. And it came, he came in direct opposition to it. Because he did not want to do what the Lord said to do. For him... That was sin. And I say to you again, where do you find yourself? What is sin for you? I said to you earlier, sin affects not only you, but your whole house. Anything I do is going to affect Carlton, Olivia, Alea, and Simone. What I do is going to affect you. I'm, I'm one of the leaders in this body here. What I do or don't do is going to affect you. This is not to condemn anyone, but we want total victory. Amen? Here are some characteristics of what sin looks like if the definition wasn't enough. Okay? Number one, it opposes God's law. Think about your life. We are not turning to our neighbor today. Think about your own life. It opposes God's law. It hates rather than loves. Think about your own life. Where are you hating and not loving? Huh? It doubts and, contra and contradicts rather than trust and affirm. Look at your life. It harms and abuses rather than help and respect. It cannot be reasoned with. It cannot be eased into a user-friendly category. It cannot be outwitted. It is usually premeditated. Think about your life. It begins at a, as a subtle appeal in the back of your mind. And then you begin to nurture it. It grows and grows. Then you begin to lust for it. Your appetite grows for it. It appears innocent. Because it is forbidden, it is attractive and seductive. Now, it does reach for some things that have some intrinsic value now, like peace and justification, security, knowledge, Peace, I said, pleasure, or even a good name. So it does reach for those things that have some intrinsic value. But it, it morphs those things into something that God did not intend. It lures you into cohabitation with it, telling you how much you need it in your life. It gives you the illusion that you are in control. Think about your life, family. It gives you the illusion that you can stop it at any time. That you got control over this thing. It then masters you. It becomes your slave. You become entangled and ensnared. And then you are afraid to ask for help out. These are, these, these are some of the things that it looks like. Check your life. It shifts the blame on someone else. Oh, it's her. Oh, it's Carlton. It's not me. He need to do better. Oh, it's Shalette. It's not me. She need to do better. What about you? It always looks for somebody else to blame so you, your stuff won't have to be put on front streets. When not dealt with, it becomes proud and deliberate. You do it over and over and over again. 
When not put in check, it leans into iniquity, which means it now has become a habit of yours. It begins to become a part of your character trait. And once something has been embedded in you at that point, you don't even look at it as sin no more. It's not sin no more. This is who I am. It strips you from your integrity and strips you from your identity in Christ. Look at your life. Sin results in committing more sin. You can't stop. It's like a rolling uh, snowball down a hill. It puts you in direct confrontation of obedience and rebellion. And last but not least, it causes alienation between you and God. Again, I ask you, what in your life is alienating you from God's presence? It could be something as simple as busyness. That could be a sin. It could be something as simple as being anxious. That could become a sin. Unbelief in God's ability to work something out, and so you do it yourself. That's sin. You got to find out where you are in the puzzle. So what do we do with this? How do we handle this? First and foremost, you can't do nothing with it. Not on your own, because sin ain't going to let you. Once it's in there, it does not want to let you go. So the only help for you today is the power of the Holy Ghost. A couple of um, weeks ago, maybe two months ago, we were in here for a corporate prayer on a Friday night. And we were praying, and we all, we all were in here thinking that we were doing what we needed to do. And we were on, I was over there on the floor, I remember, and uh, we were all over the place. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to ask you to do what you did that day, Elder Benjamin. All of a sudden, while we were all deep into the Lord, Elder Benjamin did this. And immediately, all of us became aware that we weren't doing what the Lord required, even though we were in here praying. Sometimes we are thinking that we are doing what the Lord has required, but we are doing what we think the Lord wants. You don't want to get those things mixed up. I'd rather do what the Lord requires of me than do what I think he may want. So let me help you here because I'm almost done. I want you to listen. When I, um, I celebrated or I observed Yom Kippur last month because the Lord told me to. So I spent time, I, I, I observed Rosh Hashanah, which is the head of the new year. Um, for uh, our Jewish, Jewish brothers and sisters, and then 10 days after is Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. Now, we know that Jesus Christ is the sufficient sacrifice, and he is the atonement, but there are nuggets that I had gotten as I took time to observe the High Holy Day. The Lord, even in the Bible, says don't do not forsake observing it. Even though we know that Jesus Christ has come and he's fulfilled that, we still should observe it. And because God shows us things in the midst of those things. So one of the things, one of the things um, that Yom Kippur deals tremendously with is repentance. And there are different phases of, of repentance. And I want to Go over these with you. There are, in Judaism, there are three steps connected to repentance. Okay? So I want to share these with you. The first is to regret the deed. The second is to orally confess the sin. The third is to determine never to repeat it again. And there's another part that's tacked on, if you have done anything wrong to someone physically or said anything wrong to, him, to that person, you are to give restitution. These are the components 
of repentance. Whatever you need to do to repair the damage, you ought to do it. So let's talk about how this looks for us because this is our call to action. Like I said earlier, you ought to be tired of being defeated. You ought to be tired of playing the game. You ought to be tired of putting on the Christian face. And you ought to be tired of getting no results. You ought to just be sick and tired of it. So let's handle the sin in the camp in our own lives. Don't be ashamed. I had to do it. I sat on the porch one, one, mon one, one Monday morning. It was outside. I was outside on my front porch. I said, God, I have an appetite for this. And I can't seem to shake it. I need your help. I, it has grown into a thirst for me that I can't let go. Help me. I need deliverance right here. There is no shame in asking God to deliver you. There ain't no shame in it. There ain't no shame in needing deliverance. Christians need deliverance. So the first thing I want to suggest to you is own O-W-N, your sin. Own it. Usually we know what we're doing wrong. If you're dealing with unforgiveness in your heart or whatever, it's not the biggies. It's the one that's causing you distance from God. Own it. That takes examining, examining your heart and its motives and examining your thoughts and your fears. Own it. When someone else confronts you about your sin, do not become prideful and ready to defend that sin. Sin should never be defended. It has no defense. Stop defending the sin that you are cohabitating with. You want victory? Yes or no? Stop defending that, th that stuff. If someone confronts you about it, yeah, it's, you're, right. you're right. You might feel hard, rough about it. It might ruffle you that somebody else knows it. But you got to say, you know what? You're right, though. You're right. And if, so, if you are the one confronting someone about their sin, you got to let your words be seasoned with grace. You wrong for that. You wrong. Ain't nobody going to hear you. We got to restore our brothers and our sisters in love. But we cannot wink our eye to the sin. Remember Nathan when he confronted um, David? And he gave him the story about the ewe lamb, and David was so outraged. Who did this? They ought to pay, they're going to have to pay back X amount. They ought to be put to death. And Nathan looked at him, it's you. You're the one who killed Bathsheba's husband. You got her pregnant. You put her husband on the front line, killed him. To cover up your sin, it is you. What David said, no, no, I didn't do it. No, I didn't do it. No, he said, I have sinned. What else could he do? So the first thing to do is own up to your sin. Don't give it a pretty name. Don't, don't always be going back to the back, talk about back to your past. Well, you know, I was treated this way as a child. That's why I understand that. I get that. But own up to today, I'm still doing this. And I got to stop it. Amen. Next thing, confess it. Confess your sin out loud. We don't confess our sins so that God can hear them. We confess them so that we can hear them. We need to hear, we, got, we need to hear it. I'm, I, God, you know, I'm, I, I'm tired of in filling the blank. You need to say it out loud because, you know, thinking and speaking are two different modes. You can think it in your head, it don't seem as bad. But when you say it out loud, you be like, oh, my God. Speaking is more powerful than, 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 than thinking it. Expose the sin. Don't cover it up like a baby. Expose it. Now, the Bible, I mean, you could do it. Do it expose it to God. Guess what? Guess what? He already knows there isn't anything hidden. But open up your mouth and tell him, I am caught up in this. 
And you know what? If we need to get out of this, I don't want to tell sister so-and-so my business. I don't want nobody knowing my business. Your business is going to affect all of us. Find somebody to say it out loud to that you trust. And let them encourage you. Let them help you, restore you back to what needs to be, where you need to be. You have fallen. You need to be restored. Speaking it helps to break your connection with that thing when you open your mouth against it. And that's why the Lord tells us, you know, that's what we always encourage to, you know, speak confirmations over our life. Right. You know, the word of God is powerful and death and life is in the is in the power of the tongue. Amen. Next thing I want to say to you, you got to hate that sin. You got to hate it. I don't care if you all caught up in it and can't get out of it. While you're doing it, hate it. I hate what I'm doing. I hate what I'm doing. Hate it. Say that I hate you. Whatever, fill in the blank. I hate you. You, yeah, you got, you are mastering me right now. But I hate you with a godly anger and with a. I hate what I'm doing. Say it. You gotta hate it, even if it is giving you satisfaction. Hate it while you're in the midst of doing it. Hate it while you're saying it. Hate it while you're reacting to however you're reacting to whomever you're reacting to. Hate it. You got to hate it when you don't even see the immediate consequences of it. Hate the sin. Don't become bad fellows. With, if you're in the bed with it, hate it while you're laying down beside it. I'm just saying what I'm saying. And I can go anyway. You got to say to yourself, God, I don't want what I want. I want what's right. When that thing come up in your mind, coming up against you, and it's making you feel good, God, I don't want what I want. I want what's right. You got to say it out loud. Last thing. Regret it. A lot, you know, a lot of times, you know, when someone has wronged us or, you know, or we wronged somebody, you know, and, and, and one thing I don't do with my children anymore, if they get, get into a spat, which they don't do as much anymore, praise the Lord, because they're older now, Amen. I don't make them apologize to each other because it's forced. I pray, I'll tell, I deal each with, with each one of them on a one-by-one basis. Sometimes they get mad, but you didn't tell, a, I didn't hear you tell a layer that. Mama, I didn't hear you address Olivia. I deal with each person on their own. You don't have to know what I said to Olivia, and Olivia don't need to know what I said to you. Because there are things in you that need to be worked out that may not be the same things that need to be worked out in her. So I'm dealing with you according to what's wrong inside of you. That makes sense? You got to be the one to have remorse for what you did to your sister. Or your brother. You got to be the one to, ha to have re regret what you did to your wife or your husband or to the body of Christ. You got to regret that. When you regret something, it puts you in position where you don't want to do it no more. When you regret it, you ask God, then God help me. Deliver me from this. Cleanse me. See, re repentance isn't a one-time deal. Repentance goes on day after day. The thing you repented from today, you might have to repent from that thing tomorrow. And the next day, you go on and, God, I am sorry. I, I don't want to do this. You, repentance is not an all-in-one thing. I got it today, and so I'm good for the rest of my life. Every day, you got to ask God, I need your help. Forgive me. Father, I feel myself slipping back into my old patterns. You want victory all the way? Yes or no? Yes. You got to be honest and come all the way clean. Now, these are the things, and this is the last point. These are some things you may want to write this down. Ask the Lord to show you as he is taking you through the cleansing process of repentance. Father, what in me has caused me to be vulnerable to this sin? Write it down. What 
has caused me to be vulnerable to this thing. What triggers me to fall into this pattern over and over and over again? I need to know. I need these things to be uncovered. Because it's destructive to me and my family and to everybody around me. What in me is triggering my response to this person like this? What emotions inside of me are easy targets for sin to be nurtured? What are the supply lines that I have maintained connection with that nurture my sin? These are the things that we have to consider, family. And I'm reminded of David's words in Psalm 32. He says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and the Lord forgave me. Amen? So that's what I needed to say to you today, family. There is victory in coming clean, but you're going to have to want to come clean. There's no need to be embarrassed anymore. You are, you, are, you are experiencing failure. Some of us are. Not because we have taken a holy stand against unrighteousness, but because we are cohabitating with sin. All of us have at some point or the other. Some of us are struggling. I admit, you know, there are things that I've struggled with. I, 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 I I ain't no shame in it. Because the one thing I know that feels absolutely horrible is being distant from the Lord. You can stand.